Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. Uh, today we're talking with uh, three artists, Derek Freck, Joe Lucina, and Daniel Wallace, the masterminds behind Extra Extra, which has become Philadelphia's best gallery for showing smart conceptual contemporary art in just a year and a half of operation. Maybe I should say one of the best. Their mission is to focus on new interpretations of sculpture, installation, and performance in whatever forms they may take. We are talking to them in their new space on Lower Frankfurt Avenue. I'm wondering if we can ask each of you to introduce yourselves, and we'll try to see if we can remember <laughs> who you are by your voices. <laughs> uh, Joe Lucina. I'm Dan Wallace. And I'm Derek Freck. So tell us how you started the gallery. We know you're not from Philadelphia originally, so tell us the story of how you wound up in Philadelphia and decided to create Extra Extra. Well, this, this is Joe. Um, I, I think we were, we were all friends uh, from, from MICA. We went to school in, uh, in Baltimore. I always wanted to move to somewhere and start a, start a gallery, so that was already our, our mission before selecting Philadelphia. Philadelphia seemed like a, a really good bet. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't quite New York. We, we weren't. We weren't into those like high speeds and like it takes a lot of funds to do that. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia seemed like a, a good vibe. And and Derek was from just outside of, of Philly and, and kind of knew kind of the best way to, to get started. Are you all sculptors or are you painters or? I don't really think any of us identifies ourselves as one thing. I was a sculptor at MICA, and these two were both painters. Um, but really, wherever, whatever an idea lends itself to is the medium we work in. Um, I feel that's true with a lot of the artists we show as well, is you're not working just through one medium, but just wherever the idea leads you. A lot of your ideas lead you to the internet. Did you do a lot of graphic design and web design and things? No, I mean, I think it's just part of our generation. our generation. I mean, we've been logged into the internet since we were kids, you know, we were, grew up in a chat room, so that's true. Which <laughs> chat room would that be? I mean, everybody in our generation knows their first AOL chat name. You know, yeah. It's just part of living as a 20 something. So, can you reveal your AOL chat names? I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> I mean, mine was, I was just like really lame. Mine was just like Joe. Your L. name? <laughs> I think mine was something like Soccer Kid 777 or something. You know, something ridiculous. And Dan, you were already so precocious oh, that God. we can't hear yours, huh? I mean, no, 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 it wasn't. I think it had something. I know it was Cheshire or something or other, yeah. which is embarrassing. <laughs> so you don't show your own art here? We have once, uh, last year, a show called Soft Focus. Um, and we kind of vowed that that would be the only time that we ever showed our own work at our own gallery. Part of why it's uncomfortable for me is that it's hard, it's hard to separate what it is to be a curator and what it is to be an artist. And as soon as those things start really overlapping, it just gets confusing as to what your role is. For our collaborative practice, I mean, we're all working artists together, we live together, we have a studio together. We spend a lot of time together. It's kind of necessary to separate the two sides of the life. Can you talk to us a little bit about your collaboration and how you make decisions and how you don't punch each other's lights out and <laughs> stuff like that? Yeah, um, yeah I don't know, magic. Yeah. <laughs> Our collaboration is kind of focused on dissolving the idea that, you know, of, of one artist's voice and that being a, a prominent thing and the ego of the artist and 
and everything. It's something that has always kind of turned us off when looking at work is having this really deterministic voice throughout. So collaboration is actually a statement about um, what art, it's a theory about how art comes about? I think it's focused on dissol dissolving the authorship because that's where the ego comes into play in, in art and that's when ideas kind of lose, lose something for me. I mean, I think with Soft Focus it was much more about conversation between the lot of people that were making the work rather than the end product. There was tons of work that was made, the editing process was not very strict at all. We ended up with a ton of sculptures at the end of it, all of which, because we were running the gallery and making work and living together, it was kind of hard to tell who started what idea in the first place. Mm -hmm. So the end of it did, it was sort of breaking down where the boundaries lie between one person's idea and the, and the next. That said, you do show individually elsewhere, I believe, is that correct? correct. Like Derek, I believe you were in a show at Little Berlin one time? Yeah. And I have a show coming up in October at Rebecca Templeton. Dan and I are collaborating on a show at Little, Little Berlin. Berlin. So you can see how it would get messy yeah. <laughs> as with all of this sharing going on. Yeah. So you have separate studios? No, <laughs> we just started. <laughs> we just started renting a studio together. Yeah, um, which is right down on Front and Gerard. We do need to make do you partitions. Have walls? <laughs> it's, it's one big room. Really. One big room. Yeah. So, how do you see the work that you're showing here, or do you see the work you're showing here as different from what's being shown in other galleries, either alternative spaces or just any other galleries here in Philadelphia? I feel like it might have been different when we first started or when we thought it was different. or we thought it was different but it's 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 really not i think a lot of people were engaging in internet based art and um i don't think it's so different i think there's a lot of like-minded spaces here so which are the spaces that you think are like-minded definitely bodega um good friends of ours um little, little berlin. berlin do you sell stuff <laughs> Hardly. No, we we sold one 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 work I think in our yeah. whole time here, and it was uh, Michelle Seha's triptych piece. And without the intention of selling it at all, it was mm -hmm. kind of a bumbling. Yeah, because <laughs> it's definitely out. not our focus to sell work when we're curating. It's not like, well, what's going to sell? It's you know, what ideas do we value most? So, do you see this as sort of a step on a pipeline to getting artists into? Um, into some sort of financially profitable art, or no? Is it education? Do you think that's what you're doing, basically? Educating people about art? I, I, I wouldn't say that we're educating people, just because that's a tricky, tricky term. We know that you're a project of Fractured Atlas mm -hmm. now, and which gives you some sort of status in the nonprofit world mm -hmm. and you have to write stuff that describes what you're doing mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering is that stuff helpful in terms of defining what you're doing? I think that the obvious thing is that it's not for our financial gain. We're not doing this to be... To sustain ourselves. It's impossible mm -hmm. and in that way I think that our primary audience is artists themselves and people who are engaged in the community as it is. And in that way it's as much education for us as it is for other people. It's for as, sure. As, um, we're learning as much from it as people that come are learning from it I think too. So I see it as kind of a continuation of my education as well. 
Do you think under Fractured Atlas, which is there to foster your um, nonprofit status and help you get grant money, that you have a sustainable um, future in terms of continuing what you're doing? Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, places in Philadelphia are doing it. You know, Vox has been doing it for how many years? And um, yeah, 25. So, so it's it's obviously sustainable, but you have I think to we're we're fairly new to the Fractured Atlas yeah. um, ball game. That's why we got involved. When we first started, we knew that it wasn't going to be a for-profit venture, but to get started fast and to get started with just the small group of people that we had was pretty much the only way to do it. Just to try and get 501c3 status would be hard Several years. And, and time mm-hmm. and involving and more people mm-hmm. and money and all of that. So Fractured Atlas was a great way to do it because we can keep the structure that we have but receive donations that are tax deductible and also apply for grants in Philadelphia and outside mm-hmm. to try and sustain us a little more. So um, what are your ambitions for yourselves? Laughs all around. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the getting interviewed with what's your five-year plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what's your 20-year plan? <laughs> Yeah. Um, probably grad school at some point. Um, yeah, jeez. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just to be m- making art and doing what we're doing, maybe on a more sustainable path at some point um, where this could be our job, um, which sure. it is not now. So. Yeah, so what are your jobs now? Uh, I'm, a, I'm an architectural metal worker. And what does that mean exactly? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we design and build high-end showrooms for places like Coach and Lucky Brand Jeans and stuff like that. I'm gainfully unemployed at the moment. Mm-hmm. Until recently I was working at First Person Arts, which is an organization that's been around for eight years or so, that deals in documentary and memoir work. I work at the Fabric Workshop and Museum. I'm a museum shop assistant and a tour guide. So, so how do you judge if a show's been a success? That's a hard question. Yeah. When there's a dialogue generated around a show, that's when I feel it's most successful, whether it be good, positive feedback, or negative feedback. Right. Just when people are talking about it and exchanging ideas, that's when I see it as being the biggest success, is when it gets people thinking. That's a good way to put it. And I think that's but some, something that Philadelphia, we want more of. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times art is very passive, mm-hmm. and that what can be most valuable in art is to spark a conversation or a debate. So do you guys think museum thoughts, or do you think that <laughs> What are museum art thoughts? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, in terms of the sort of art you're showing is stuff that would be really hard to mount in a museum in a mm. lot of ways. Mm. And so my question is really about um, what makes great art, and does the <laughs> museum even have it? I, I think that yeah. some, some museums do, and some of the artists we're showing are are starting to be picked up in museums. Uh, for instance, the web project we just put on um, with John Raffman, he just showed at the new museum with his Google Street View projects where he basically wanders through Google Street View to find strange things happening and will take screen captures of it and print them. Um, so he has you know, thousands of images of just, you know, Aliens sitting on a bench, like a kid in an alien costume sitting on a bench, or, or like a, a yeah. nude woman staring blissfully into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Things that are very human, but mm-hmm. caught by Google. Google. I mean, there is, I mean, we've talked about this too, and it's not so much about the physicalized work, but the work that exists, like the web project, for example. How do you archive something that's so immaterial? Mm-hmm. I mean, part of the museum is 
to preserve. And if there's not an object to preserve, then the setup of a museum doesn't really work. Yeah, I, I wonder about how, um, how value, which is what the museum basically shows, is things it regards as having value. And we're seeing all this work that is very immaterial, and how, how the value is going to be translated into a museum setting. Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger question here is if it, if it needs to be whether the museum is the person who's putting value on it. There are some artists who, who are starting to make money from web-based projects. There's an artist named Raphael Rosendahl. He basically makes flash websites. Some people, you can buy them, but the stipulation is that you have to keep them public. So he sold a bunch of these websites, and just in the header it just says who owns it, and it remains public, which is really the best thing you could do with something like that. We've been talking with Derek Freck, Joe Lucida, and Daniel Wallace. Thanks so much, guys, for having us yeah, in the gallery. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Thank you. Thanks. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.